Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we do meditate upon the fact that our own debt has indeed been nailed to the cross, let us respond with such joy and thanksgiving that we thirst for your word. Lord, we do indeed pray that you open our ears, that your word may enter into our hearts, transform our minds, Lord. We pray again for our pastor to speak your truth boldly, that we may hear. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You want to turn in copies of your Bible, turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. We introduced uh, last week the subject of parables. Our Lord Jesus speaks in parables. In fact, both Mark and Matthew record that he speaks only in parables to the crowds from this point onward. And we saw that contrary to what some of us were taught or maybe just imbibed, the, par- the parables were not designed to be simplistic teaching to kind of dumb things down so that every common person could understand them. In fact, according to our Lord, they had the opposite purpose. It was to exclude. It was to obscure. It was to make things where they were not plain to those who were not given eyes to see and ears to hear. As we look at, beginning to look at the actual parables themselves this morning, we look at the parable of the sower. The title of the sermon is The Sower and His Seed. And last week, as we looked at this, these our Lord's explanation, because the disciples come to him privately and say, Lord, you've, all, you've taught plainly up until this point. Why are you now speaking in parables? And his answer was surprising. And he goes on to tell them with respect to the parable of the sower. He says, do you not understand this one? We see this in verse 13 of Mark chapter 4. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So we find that this parable of the sower is foundational. It's necessary for us to wrap our minds around what what he means here and the the importance of this parable so that we can understand all of his parables and specifically the way that these parables teach about his kingdom. Now, because our Lord gives the interpretation of the parable, he, he tells the parable that his disciples ask him privately, what does this mean? And he gives them graciously, undeservedly, he gives them the answer to the question. And since he's already provided the interpretation, then the sermon is not going to expound each, each of the four soil types, for example, because our Lord has done that. What we're going to do, though, is look at three main ideas that's necessary for God's people to take away from his teaching here. Because he said, this parable is necessary. In order to understand all the others, then what is necessary? What do we have to take away today from this parable in order to understand what our Lord teaches about his kingdom through the remaining parables? And I'm going to give you three three things to think about. Before I read the text, have these in, in your mind. Note, first of all, who is the central figure in the parable? I'll give you a hint. It's not you. It's not me. Who's the central figure? Secondly, what is the key feature, or what's the key element in the parable? Where should our, our focus go in the parable? And thirdly, once we establish those two things, the main point of the parable, how do we evaluate ourselves in light of that? Notice we don't start with the evaluation of self and then interpret the parable in light of that, which is what we're tempted to do, isn't it? We understand who's the key figure, What's the key element? And then, and only then, do we say, how does this apply to us? How do we respond in consequence to that? Here's the the message of the parable in, in short. The parable of the sower teaches us something important. It teaches us that it is the word of Christ that powerfully ushers in the kingdom of God, and it brings forth fruit in his kingdom citizens. It's the word of Christ, and the word of Christ alone that ushers in his kingdom. It is not the efforts of men. It is not our organizational activities. 
It is the word of Christ alone through the power of his spirit that ushers in the kingdom of God, and it is that word and spirit which produces fruit in his kingdom citizens. So let's read the text together. Matthew chapter 4, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 20. So hear with me and read along. This is the word of God. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Notice, first of all, the central figure in the parable. The central figure in the parable. Notice how Mark sets the scene. Back in verses 1 through 3 of our chapter, again, Jesus begins to teach beside the sea. And, and notice how he paints this picture. There's a, if, if you allow, allow your mind to see it, he paints a very vivid picture. He, Jesus begins to teach beside the sea. A very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Here's the portrait. If you painted it in your mind, here's Jesus in the center and everything revolves around him, even the sea itself. He's the central feature in, in the whole narration. And then as he tells the parable, he makes himself the central figure in the parable. In verse 11, <clears throat> when the disciples asked him about the parable and what its meaning was, and he said to them, to you, it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. What is the secret of the kingdom of God? It is that Jesus of Nazareth is the long-awaited Messiah. That he is the one that's ushering in the kingdom. He is the king who will rule and reign. So he is the central feature. Then in verse 15, we see again, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. Who is sowing this word? And what word is this? Matthew calls it the word of what? The kingdom. It's the word of the kingdom. It is the word of the king, of 
this kingdom. So compellingly, Jesus says that understanding this parable is necessary to understand all the parables. Understanding the centrality of the sower. In other words, understanding the centrality of Christ is the key to all the parables. It is not just simply because this is the simplest parable, and he's arguing, if you can't understand the most simple one I got, then you won't understand all the other ones. He's saying something more substantial than that. The key feature, the key figure in this parable is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the sower who brings the word of the kingdom. And he said, if you don't get that part, the rest of the parables won't make any sense to you. Because Christ is central in all of it. It is his kingdom. And the parables are speaking of him and his work. Now why is this distinction important? Why is it significant that the central figure in the parable is not the hearers, but the sower? Why is that significant? Well, it's significant because, and we have to admit this to to ourselves and to one another, we, we tend to make man the point of reference in our biblical interpretation, don't we? We we tend naturally to make ourselves the interpretive key to the Scriptures. But again and again and again and again, aren't we told from the Scriptures that this is actually God's revelation about himself? It's not his revelation about me or you. The Bible offers to us the Lord Jesus Christ as the interpretive key, not only to this text, but all of Scripture. On the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection, and his his persona, his identity was veiled from two disciples as he he walks along the way with them. And the text tells us that that he opened their eyes when he broke the bread, and and they recognized him. And then Luke tells us, beginning from Moses and the prophets, he taught to them from all of the Scriptures things about himself. He is the interpretive key. The Bible again and again offers to us the Lord Jesus Christ as central. But as we think about the four soils, as we read the parable, there's a temptation here. There's a temptation to become like you know, soil scientists that have called, been called in from Texas A&M University. And we're, we're going to come in and do our soil samples and test the alkalinity and the pH and, and the lime content and the sandy versus clay. And we're going to do all the analysis on the soils. And we miss the sower. We miss Christ. Our tendency is to turn ourselves into those kind of soil scientists. And the goal is not to compare one soil against another. That's not the point of the parable. There's an implication there, certainly, but that's not the point. The goal is to see how each kind of hearer relates to Christ. How does each kind of hearer relate to his word? That's the central issue. Now let's think about these first three soils. The first one is marked by hardness. But again, let's think about those three soils in relation to the sower, not just in relation to one another. Our duty is not to compare one man to another, but to compare our hearts to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. The first soil, Jesus says, is marked by a hardness. And as he explains the parable, that first first batch of seed, as, as the sower goes about and he casts the seed out, it falls on a hard, packed trail, a footpath. And it can't penetrate. One commentator makes this observation. I found this insightful. He says, the first batch of seed fell on the footpath. With the, interpret- with the interpretive key of listening in hand, listening to whom, by the way? The sower. With the interpretive key of listening in hand, we find that uh, in contrast to a field, we find a footpath, a place where people walk. This is soil whose main task is not receiving seed, but receiving people. It's concentrated its concentration, the, the footpaths, concentration is not upon what God says to it in the word, but upon what people say to it in the world. The soil is unfruitful because its orientation is wrong. It receives the activity of people as its main occupation. The ears of the soil are attuned to what God is doing in history, to listening to the footfalls of the great events of the times as the last word, rather 
than to the footfalls of the little story of Jesus of Nazareth and to what God did, does, and shall do in him. People are more important to footpaths than seeds are. If enough people are doing or saying something, then that must be what God is doing and saying. I found that helpful. See, there's an orientation naturally, isn't there, for all of us to think in terms of what do men want? And, and we direct the word there rather than saying, what does the sower want? What are his intentions? What are his commands? You see how easily we can focus on man rather than on God? And I don't think I have to persuade you. You can look out at the broad swath of, of modern evangelicalism and what passes for modern church and see that the, the, the focus is on the footpaths. It's focused on men and what they want. The second soil, our Lord says, is marked by an easy but temporary belief. These are those who, it's very shallow soil, and it was, it was common in Palestine. Of course, we have it plenty of places here in Texas as well. You go out to the hill country, and you'll find a lot of this. Limestone covered with a very thin layer of dirt. And in Palestine, it was a very arid area, but the, but the morning dew would moisten that soil enough that seeds that perhaps a bird or the wind had dropped upon it would germinate. And it was true life. It was really green. It would come up. The problem was when the sun came up, when the wind blew, there was nothing there to sustain to that plant. And there was no root from which it could bear any real fruit. And Jesus says there are people like this. There are soils like this, so to speak. And the, the, this, this, this is a character, characteristic of easy believism. It says just, just believe now. Press hard, third copy's yours, sign on the darted line. And, and it's marked constantly by this, 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 this idea of, of altar calls and a pressing for an emotional decision right now. Rather than obeying what Christ said, the discipleship requires counting the cost. Before a man would build a tower, our Lord said, he must reason with himself. Does he have enough? Do you have the resources to finish this? Before one king goes out to battle against another, does he have the resources? Does he have the army? Does he have what he needs to be victorious? And Jesus said, discipleship is like that. Count the cost. But there are those who actually organize their ministries to appeal to shallow soil. And the focus is not on the sower, but it's on those who can be persuaded easily and quickly to make a decision for Christ. And our Lord warns. He warns that that will not bear fruit. Thirdly, there's a third soil marked by thorns. Our Lord said it's, it's like seed that falls, and apparently it's in decent soil, but the problem is it's outcompeted. If you're a gardener, you know what this looks like. You can have a perfectly good tomato plant, but if it's surrounded by weeds and the weeds choke it out, it will not bear good fruit. And so it is the job of the gardener to, to pull those weeds out and make sure it doesn't get choked. And our Lord said it's like this. The thorns choke out the word of God because the true affection was not towards God and his word. There, was, there were people who liked to hear it. They're interested. It makes them feel good. But the cares of this world, as he says, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things, the cares of the world, quickly choke it out. You know, we were talking about this at the dinner table last night in light of our child parenting and, and child training class that we're we're undertaking even now. I think, parents, give some thought and meditation upon this. this. This third soil, and think about the ways in which, by your own teaching, your own instruction, by your own example in your home, are you planting the seeds of thorns? Are you planting the seeds of weeds that choke out spiritual things in the hearts of your children? Things that may be good and lawful, and yet they become primary what kind of money you're going to make, what kind of vocation you're going to have, where you're going to go to school, and, and all these kinds of things in the hearts of our young men and women that can very easily choke out the true Word of God, in a sense, outcompete the Word of God. 
And yet, what we find, and the answer and the remedy to the parable, the remedy to understanding this, is what Jesus told his disciples. We saw this last week. He says, verse 11, to, to, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. See, the message of the parable is not to somehow transform yourself from shallow soil to deep soil. It's not to provide the right nutrients so that you can make your heart receptive. It's to recognize that it is Christ alone. It is the Spirit of Christ who gives ears to hear, who gives eyes to see. So our Lord says the soil is ultimately not determinative, but rather the central figure is the sower. And again and again, the gospel writers record that Jesus makes himself the decisive figure, not only in this narrative, but in all of history. He is the decisive figure. Do you hear him? Do you listen to him? Do you follow him? For those of you here this morning who are in Christ, do you feel the weight of this? Do you feel the necessity of hearing from your Savior? day by day, week by week. Because if you're honest, you know all by yourself, you're not all that great of soil, are you? I'm not very good soil. Any fruit that comes in me, any fruit that comes in you, is owing to the grace of God revealed in His Word by the power of His Spirit. And for those of you who are not in Christ, Don't look at the soils. Don't spend your time trying to evaluate, what kind of soil am I? Look to the sower. Look to the one who speaks to you. Look to the one who declares in his word that he is the Holy One of God, that he is the one who came to take away your sin. Look to him. If you come away from this parable thinking that you are its main point, then you've not understood it. And Jesus says, he warns you, you don't understand that, you're going to have a hard time with the rest of the parables. The parable itself teaches that if you do not understand, then the enemy will come and snatch the word away from you in terms of your understanding. Robert Murray McShane, the famous Scottish Presbyterian pastor, makes this insightful remark. He says, ministers only shine as long as they are in the hand of Christ People now look too much to ministers. They expect to get wisdom from them. But we are not put up to be between you and Christ. As I have told you before, he says, the only use of the pole was to hold up the brazen serpent. No one thought of looking at the pole. So are we here to hold up Christ in the sight of you all. We are to give testimony to the truth. We are witnesses for Christ. We, hold, we are to hold up Jesus before you and before ourselves too so that we shall not disappear, or so that we shall disappear and nothing shall be seen but Christ. Saints, the temptation here is to, is to, is to think about the soils and to spend our time there. And there's profit there. Our Lord, our Lord shows the profit there, but that's not the central figure. It's the sower. From the opening verses of the gospel, Mark makes it very clear that it's the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is decisive. He's the primary focus. He's the central figure of all of Mark's gospel, and certainly of this parable. He is the sower. He is the one who must be heard. He is the one who must be followed. And he is the one who will bear fruit. But we're not called to follow a silent Savior, a mute Messiah. The parable of the sower begins with an emphasis on the sower, but it then immediately directs our attention to what he sows. And Jesus says to us, he tells to the disciples when he explains it, that what he sows, the sower sows, is is what's heard. It's the word of the kingdom. So observe in the second place the key feature of the parable. The key feature of the parable. And again... The answer is not the soil. It's the seed. It is the word of God. The key feature in the parable is the word of the kingdom. And the four soils simply serve as illustrations for the response that people have to to what? The seed, the word, 
of the kingdom, the word of Christ. The key figure is Christ the sower, and the key feature is his word. And this remains so. We see this apostolic pattern immediately after Pentecost. The apostles understood this, and as they demonstrated for the church, a pattern of prioritizing this proclamation of the word of the kingdom. They recognized that Jesus had passed the baton to them, so to speak. He had commissioned them. He had authorized them to bear witness of him, of his kingdom, to sow seed in his name. And Jesus makes it very clear that it is this, that it, this, this sowing has reference to hearing the word of God. Look at verse 14 of Mark 4. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. Verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And lastly, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And when our Lord is speaking about hearing, he's not talking about just having functional auditory capacities. It's not just that the, the, a sound wave comes in and vibrates against your eardrum and is processed by your brain as a signal and a communication. It's that it goes all the way down into your heart and soul and changes you. To hear the word of God, James says, is to be doers of it, not merely hearers. And James compares this to a man who, who sees himself in a mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what he's seen. To be a hearer is to be a doer, to internalize the word of Christ. And again, we see this apostolic emphasis immediately. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are preaching. This is their impulse. I mean, of course, at, at Pentecost, as soon as the Holy Spirit descends, what is Peter's response? He stands and sows seed. He preaches. Then in Acts chapter 4, as they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Then later in the chapter, it describes the next day they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of of Jesus, but Peter and John answered them, "Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard." What were they doing? They were sowing seed, and we soon find in the record of the book of of, of the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus, we find an early deacon, an evangelist, Stephen, preaching. Later, Paul preaching along with Barnabas, then Silas and Timothy and Titus and others. And countless others preached. Many preached. Do you know what else we find? As we see the apostolic example and we see what they taught to the church, not only did many go and preach, but far many more supported that work. They gave of themselves. Some offered up their homes. Some offered up their treasure. Some offered up their time. Some offered up other resources to support the work of the gospel ministry, of the sowing of seed. Why? Why would men and women put themselves at risk to support the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why would men and women and even children make significant personal sacrifice to support such a work? Because they were convinced. They were convinced that the eyes of every man needed to look to the sower they needed to receive his seed by hearing. They believed that the word of the kingdom is the seed of eternal life. They believed that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. They believed that the means of the proclamation of Christ's word, that their king would reveal his kingdom and he would fulfill all that he had promised. By what means? Not by politically organizing. Not by holding rallies at Thessalonica or Ephesus but by preaching, by establishing churches, by, by baptizing men and women and boys and girls into the ordinance 
of baptism and then training them, discipling them. Kingdom advances. Kingdom is revealed more and more. They they believed that their king would reveal his kingdom and that he would fulfill all that he had promised. It is the seed, it's the word itself which produces fruit, not the soil. The seed of the word has, has everything necessary for life. Everything necessary for life is in that little seed. The word of Christ contains the entire kingdom, and, and sometimes it's only in seed form. You know, I was out on the driveway yesterday, and I, I tend to be barefoot in my office, and I walked out on the driveway, and I very quickly went back in to get some shoes because the driveway is covered with acorns, absolutely covered. We have a huge white oak tree right over our driveway. And it's just thousands and thousands. In fact, in fact, it sounds like hailstones when they hit the tin roof of my shed. And to think that in each one of those tiny acorns, there's an entire oak tree. The whole thing is there. All the genetic material for that entire oak tree is right there. And Jesus says his kingdom is like this. The seed goes in, and it bears fruit when it finds good soil. Some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. You know, in our old home in, in Hillsboro, we had nine big pecan trees that probably would take two of us to wrap our arms around. They were just magnificent trees. And to think they started with a small pecan, just a small seed. And, and such is the power demonstrated in the seed of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom. The word of Jesus is that seed, and by the power of the Spirit of Christ, the seed will grow. It will bear fruit. And who can tell? I've always been astounded, amazed at what kind of beauty that God has put inside of a tree. I'm a woodworker, so I like to cut them open and see what's inside. And, and to kind of think the, the, the beauty and, the, and the, the enduring value and function that God has placed there. And Jesus said his word is a seed, and it bears good fruit. And to think of the beauty and the enduring legacy comes when God's people hear that word, believe it, hide it in their hearts. But there's a secondary point, I think, that that is necessary to raise with respect to the parable, and and it's this, that that the ministry of the word is always going to face opposition. It's always going to face opposition of various kinds. And here as the sower goes out, some, it's just snatched up. Jesus compares the work of the devil to birds of the air that just snatch it up. People never even have a chance to hear it. Others, it's shallow soil. And the opposition there is that people were not interested. They pretended to be, but there was no real interest. There was never any depth. They were content with just a shallow understanding of the gospel and a shallow understanding of the things of God. And that shallow understanding will not bear true challenges of life. If it's not a true faith, if, it, if it's, a, if it's a, a, a pretend faith or it's a, a temporary faith based on a, an eager hearing but not accompanied with fruit. I was thinking about Paul preaching multiple times to Felix. And we're told that Felix received these things gladly. In fact, wanted to hear from Paul again. There's no evidence whatsoever that, Peter, that, that Felix ever professed faith in Christ. They had an interest. They were politically interesting. It, it, was, it was morally interesting to him, but it didn't change him. Just as preaching was the immediate impulse of the apostles after Jesus poured out his spirit at Pentecost, so too did the enemy of God, that serpent of old, set out to frustrate and torment those who would preach the word and those who would hear the word. I mean, think about this. John the Baptist was not executed because he made calls for social reform. He was executed because of the word of God. Peter and John were not arrested for being community organizers. Stephen was not stoned because of his petition drives and his boycotts. 
Paul was not beaten, stoned, and imprisoned because of his political activism. They were opposed because they sowed the seed of the kingdom of God. They preached Christ crucified and raised from the dead. They proclaimed that the duty of every man everywhere was to turn from his sin and to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's what got them in trouble. That's what was opposed. The world has no problem at all with social activity. The world hates Christ. The world hates Christ. May God give us wisdom to discern how we can support the ministry of the word, both here and at other places. If, if the sower is the central figure, and if, if the central element is his word, the word of the kingdom, then how do we support that? To, to press his parable even further, how do we develop new gardens? How, how do we cultivate new fields of labor? May we never be content simply to have some good seeds stored up in our own barns and not willing to go and, and see that scattered. May the Spirit of Christ give us grace to determine how, how we can sacrifice, both individually and corporately, so that others hear this word of life. So that others have the opportunity to hear what you have heard, to respond as you have responded. The Word of God commands us to honor such men. As Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he tells about Epaphroditus, who labored so hard for the sake of the gospel that he nearly died. And Paul said, we are to honor such men who are willing to sacrifice for, for the sake of the sower and his seed. To honor them means surely means more than just thinking well of them in our hearts. That honor is to take tangible form, material form. It means to pray fervently for them and certainly to provide materially as well. And I think about as we pray for missionaries, as we pray for church plants, as we pray for um, men who are laboring in foreign lands, men who are establishing churches in our own land, are we willing not only to pray, but to give them more seed, to help them? Not, not, that's the wrong way to say that. Not to give them more seed, but to help them in the sowing of that seed. To help them sustain the work so our first kingdom parable teaches us here the central figure is the sower. The central feature is the seed, the word of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, with, with that hopefully established in our minds, now we ask, how, what do we do with this? How do we evaluate ourselves in light of this? We learn finally this parable that we, we have to evaluate ourselves according to the parable's main point. Remember the main point? is that the parable of the sower teaches us something important. It's the word of Christ that powerfully ushers in the kingdom of God and brings forth fruit in his kingdom citizen. It's, it's the word of Christ that does this. Fruit and growth of the kingdom according to and by the power of God's word. And we have to make this evaluation both individually and corporately. Both privately and publicly. Look at verse 20 of Mark chapter 4. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is an appeal to God's people to hear the word of God. Mark says to accept it means, means to own it as true and authoritative and sufficient for us. Luke says it this way in Luke 8.15, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Saints, do you believe that the word of God is going to bear fruit in you? I mean, let's be honest. Many times you can come away from a Lord's Day worship at GFBC Conroe and, and listening to uh, a sermon here and walk away thinking, well, that was... Completely unspectacular. That was unremarkable. And, and you'd be right. But that seed contains 
the full DNA of the kingdom. And do you believe, as you receive it with patience, that God will continue to grow that in you? That God is faithful to bear fruit? That God is faithful to finish the work that he has begun in you? So we have to evaluate ourselves according to that main point. Are we holding fast patiently to the word of Christ? Do we believe that it will bear fruit? Do we believe that, is, that if both individually and corporately, as we persevere in this exercise of hearing and then working to press that in with each other, are we discussing the things that we're hearing? Are we evaluating each other? Are we asking each other questions? Are we helping one another to apply the word of Christ? Frederick Bruner, in his commentary on this, he says, the good soil is the most briefly described soil of all, and the brevity itself is eloquent. Being a fruitful Christian is not complicated. Fruitfulness is not a matter of many spiritual steps or of difficult disciplines or of particular techniques. It's simply a matter of receiving, to use Mark's single verb, or of understanding, to use Matthew's word, or of gripping, to use Luke's word. It's a matter of doing these things with one object, the Word of God. All the rest is the work of the sovereign God. I like, I like the thinking of the, the different verbs that the different evangelists use, receive, to understand, to grip. And we believe that God will bear fruit. He's faithful to do this. That His Word will not return void out there, but also in here. It will not return void. So when we gather each Lord's Day, do we come focusing on the sower or do you come focusing on your own desires? Do we diligently and patiently make it our priority to receive the seed of the word of Christ, the word of the kingdom, or do we settle for focusing on much lower things? We're looking to be entertained. We're looking to be um, to enjoy the the the, the, the social interactions, the, the the horizontal fellowship, which is good, but not primary. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who ultimately produces the fruit in us, in in one another, and He does so in the heart and mind and life of the one who's not a hypocrite, but the one who patiently trusts His triune God to fulfill all that He has promised. We have to evaluate ourselves in, in that way. It's our duty to persevere in believing and trusting in the power of the word of Christ, the faithfulness of the spirit, the faithfulness of the risen sower to multiply faith in us, to increase our faith. So the central figure is Christ. The key feature is the word of Christ. And whether or not his word penetrates deeply into the soil of your heart and mind is the central issue. What do we do with his word? Does the word of God dwell richly in you? Or does it just kind of sit on the surface of your life? It's there. But it hasn't really taken root. It doesn't change anything. Is it easily taken away by other priorities? You find yourself listening to a sermon and saying, yeah, I agree with that. That's good. It's good. And and that's the last thought about it. There's no, there's no effort to, to apply that, to meditate upon it. Every last one of us, I think, will feel the weight of the parable if you've been given ears to hear. If you understand the point of the parable, which is what our Lord admonished his disciples, they needed to understand this one, that he is the central figure that his word is the central feature of the kingdom. And if you've been given that kind of understanding, you're going to feel the weight of this, aren't you? And for the more tender consciences among us, you hear this and you may think, I'm not bearing enough fruit. I need to do better. I need to work harder. Some of you are thinking that. And, and may I tell you that misses the point? It misses the point. Jesus tells us up front that not every patch of dirt will bear the same fruit. Good soil, good seed, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. 
And what's the temptation? To look around at your brothers and sisters, the, the brother that you, you perceive that he's doing better than you are. Number one, that may not be an accurate perception. But number two, that's not your measurement, is it? You look to the sower. You look to his word. The point is not how much fruit. The point is to evaluate ourselves in light of the main point. It's the word of Christ, which is honestly and genuinely received that produces fruit in us if one bears patiently and trusts that the risen sower will complete his work. But on the other hand, some of you perhaps are not possessed with such a tender conscience. And the harder and rockier and thornier hearts this morning need to hear the warning from our Lord. There's a warning. And yet the remedy again is not, I'll try harder so that I can bear more fruit. The, the, the remedy is not, I'm going to prove to myself or to other people that I'm right with God and part of his kingdom. The word is, is to renew your attention to his word. To look to the sower and believe that he alone, he alone can produce fruit in you. And it's his word, not all the other devices of the world, that will produce fruit. The remedy is to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear his word with faith. Look to Jesus, humble yourself. Humble yourself and confess your unbelief. Look to the sower, and, and who even today continues to scatter seed upon your ears. Even this very morning, he is speaking to you. Will you turn from those, those dull ears and confess that the cares of this world, the, the difficulties that you face day by day, the deceitfulness of your prosperity have been a stumbling block to you? I read a book years ago of a brother that was ministering in, in, they called them the schemes of Scotland. We would call them housing projects. But he was dealing with drug addicts and prostitutes and, and those who were the, the dregs of humanity in many ways. And he was traveling in the U.S. and meeting with other pastors and, and there were several pastors who would say to him, him things like, Brother, we just pray for you. You've got such a hard work there. And he said, Oh, No. People I'm ministering to know they're lost. They know they're lost. They face their lostness every day in their addictions and in their immoralities and the consequences of their sin. He said, I pity you brothers who are in your prosperous places and your, your prosperous positions and comfortable churches among people who don't even know they're lost. An interesting perspective, isn't it? And, and, and we have to confess, don't we, that, that all of us are tempted to the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world. Will you ask the spirit of the sower to implant the word of God deeply within you that it might bear fruit? And so this doesn't absolve us of responsibility, does it? This is not the sermon of just let go and let God. It's not that sermon. I won't preach that sermon. But it is to place the power where it ought to be. Not in ourselves. Not in a system. But the one who was crucified was raised and who continues to preach to us. So if you come away from the parable thinking that you are its main point, you've not understood it. The message of the parable is not go be better soil. The message of the parable is not work hard to increase your yield. The message of the parable is to look to the sower. Look to the risen and exalted Christ. Trust that his word is the source of all that you need for life and godliness. The parable of the sower teaches us that it is the word of Christ, the word of Christ alone that powerfully ushers in his kingdom and causes his people his kingdom citizens, to bear fruit. Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father and our God, we give you thanks that you have 
you've given us opportunity to hear. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that our hearing will not be with our ears alone. That we would hear with our, our whole person, body and soul. You will cause us to receive the word with gladness. That you will give us faith to believe that, that you will be faithful to produce fruit in us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning who may be discouraged. Who may feel the weight of this and, and be tempted to think that it is some lack of activity on their part. And I pray for such a one that you encourage my brother and sister to rest and to trust in the risen Christ. To be patient. To give opportunity for the Word of God and the Spirit of God to do its work. And I pray Lord, for others here who perhaps on the other end of that spectrum who are indifferent to the Word of God, hardened toward it, resistant to it, that you will give ears to truly hear, faith to believe, hearts that are, are soft and tender towards the commands of our Savior. Holy Spirit, will you do the work that only you can do through the voice of Christ as he speaks to us this morning. We ask this in his name.